Welcome to Productivity Mastery. Stoy here, a productivity and performance coach on a mission to help businesses and people get the most out of their time. On this podcast, I'll bring you exceptional performers and together unlock what it takes to perform at your highest level. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody. Here's Toyon, your productivity and performance coach on a mission to help businesses and people to get the most out of their time. Today, I have a brilliant guest for a very special episode, episode number 80. It's been a little over a year since since we started this podcast, Productivity Mastery, and it's been uh, such a blessing to have a chance to speak uh, to some of the most exciting leaders, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, business leaders, and so on and so forth. And my guest today is somebody who's uh, who's the right hand in many ways, and he's the, the whisperer of many of these uh, executives, entrepreneurs, and, and teams at the highest level. Zoltan and I met uh, virtually at the podium conference in Maribor. I was tuning in from a studio in Maribor and Zoltan was uh, was on the screen. And, and I just found we, we share so many things in common. In fact, our presentations were put one after another. And I would say they were really complementing each other in the best possible way. Uh, Zoltan is an exceptional speaker and a performer. And uh, he has a lot of wisdom to share when it comes to productivity when it comes to B2B sales, growth, uh, growing your startup internationally as well, something that he was speaking about recently. Last week, we, we had a chance to finally meet in person, or should I say hybrid maybe, uh, at the <laughs> at the Wolf Summit in, in Rotslov in Poland. Uh, a big shout out to the organizers of this uh, fantastic event and for the for the courage to actually create a hybrid event in these uh, very, very difficult circumstances. But uh, yeah, great to great to have you, Zoltan. Uh, how are you this morning? I'm great, Stoyan. It's a pleasure to be here. And as you mentioned, it was uh, it was a nice uh, segue for us to, we met virtually, I guess it was sometime in the spring, probably around May uh, at uh, when we were both speaking at Putnam. And obviously the opportunity to meet in person in Wroclaw was great because uh, I think uh, if, if there's one thing we've learned in the, over the last two years is you can't replace personal uh, discussions and engagement with uh, with purely online communication. So it was a pleasure to uh, to run into you, to get to know you in person, and obviously uh, it resulted in in us being here today uh, together on on the screen. Fantastic, Zoto. Why don't you share with the audience a little bit about your background? Uh, where do you come from, and how did you end up uh, doing what you're doing these days? Okay, sure. So um, I'm a business growth mentor. I work with business to business tech startups to help them scale their business globally using a a business development framework I created uh, called the Launch Code. Uh, It's a framework that I share with my clients through personal one-on-one mentoring sessions and workshops uh, uh, over the course of of, of months. Um, I am uh, kind of I've built this system on the back of a 30-year career in global business uh, that spanned the United States, Europe, and Asia. Um, I spent about 20 years as a senior executive in the media industry, uh, responsible for, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue and 1,000 employees. I was actually CEO for one of the large broadcasting groups in Central and Eastern Europe, and then also became senior vice president of global sales for NBC Universal, uh, based in London, overseeing a portfolio of about 55 TV channels in 30 markets around the world. Um, but I've also got an entrepreneurial background. Um, I actually launched a, uh, a startup before they were called startups. They were called dot-coms uh, back in the early 2000s, built that up with my business partner, ended up selling that company, uh, and then also uh, became active as an angel investor um, and have spent about 10 years now working with startups in that capacity uh, and then evolving into what I am today, which is basically an advisor and a mentor to, uh, to, to founders. Um, I think that what probably makes me a bit unique is my perspective of, of both a corporate executive and as an entrepreneur myself. Um, that is a mix of uh, experiences that I think is quite unique. And it's something that gives me a perspective on the amazing uh amount of work and dedication and persistence you need to actually create something out of nothing. But it also uh, highlights the amazing uh, joy and satisfaction that comes with doing it and doing it well. And so I like to kind of think of myself as somebody who can help 
um, founders really realize the, the personal rewards and the satisfaction of building a, a global business. Um, on a personal level, I was born and raised in the United States uh, to Hungarian parents. So I'm blessed with, uh, with a kind of a bicultural background, a multicultural background. Um, but I've built my career in Europe, um, and to this day, I live in Europe, uh, splitting my time between London and uh, and Budapest with my uh, my wife and daughter. Fantastic, Zoltan. And, and where is this passion to startups coming from? You you mentioned you have this uh, thirty years experience being in a corporate world, the highest level executive, and so on. Why startups? Well, I, th I think there's a, a real special experience when you're creating a business from scratch and you know it's funny because i of course have spent a larger part of my career in a corporate environment but even in that environment i was always the guy that was starting new businesses so my first kind of corporate job was i was the uh head of business development at uh, cartoon network and i was launching local versions of cartoon network across central and eastern europe so um you know i have the uh, the the uh, the pleasure of bringing uh the flintstones and yogi bear and uh and some of these classic cartoons to kids uh, across poland and hungary and slovenia and the like and so i i felt the passion of creating that obviously not something from nothing in the sense that it was already developed concept but bringing it you know localizing it so to speak in in different markets and over the course of my career i constantly looked for opportunities to launch new businesses i launched several new tv channels in hungary when i was ceo of of the regional operations for prozib and sarains um i also uh, launched multiple sales organizations when I worked for CBS uh, television in the United States, I actually launched uh, a, a whole corporate sales organization um, that was kind of unique within the within the, the broader company. So I've always looked at opportunities to build new businesses. And then when I had the, the capacity and the resources to to set out on my own, um, you know, I, I found that um, that, you know, doing that at the next level is really when you just come up with the idea yourself and you start piece, putting together the pieces. And so somehow that combination of, of building new businesses in a corporate environment, but then doing it myself has led to this path where I now see this, the benefit of both of those worlds and how you can kind of take the best of those both worlds to create um, a really successful business. And that's what I try to pass along to my, to my clients and to the startup founders I work with. And thank you for doing that, Zoltan. I think, uh, everybody needs guidance everybody needs mentorship and uh somebody with your experience obviously has a lot to share and one of the things uh, that we're going to be speaking about today and obviously the, the topic of the day is boosting your b2b sales but mm -hmm. i would like to hear from you about the launch code what is the launch code and why did you decide to to create this system and help uh entrepreneurs to to be better uh huh. Well, you know, the launch code in a, in a, in a nutshell is it's a nine step business development framework that helps business to business tech startups um, down a path of boosting the revenues and accelerating the revenue growth by combining sort of corporate management uh, planning sales techniques to a startup environment. So kind of taking those two different worlds and, and creating something that's that's better. Um, the, the history of the launch code um, is comes really from my own personal experience. Uh, you know, when I left NBC back in 2016, you know, I was actually uh, leaving an environment which in, was amazing in terms of its resources and its and its environment and and, you know, and, and the, the the kind of people that you could work with, but it was fundamentally a corporate structure in the sense that it was driven by this you know, one principle, which is certainty. Right. So in corporate environments, you want certainty, you want planning. And so, um, you know, I spent a large portion of my executive time basically planning, you know, planning for the quarter and for the half year, five year plans, sales plans, you know, I mean, planning to the to the nth degree. And so after a while, I, I got quite overwhelmed by the amount of planning and the lack of doing. And so I left that job um, without really a clear path. But but what I actually had an opportunity to do is I was found by a venture capital firm that had a portfolio company in the um in the network science area which was kind of an interesting uh uh area of, of technology and uh, they were looking for somebody to kind of take this company to the next level um, as an as a ceo and so after a bit of hemming and hawing i thought to myself you know I, I i kind of have done the corporate thing and you know i've had some entrepreneurial experience but you know what would it be like if i actually went back into you know more of an entrepreneurial environment and i remember you know going in on my first day in this in this role um, you know, asking for information about the the company as you do. I mean, you know, you kind of gather information, you kind of, you know, what, what's the, the status, what's the client pipeline, you know, all that stuff. And I remember being in this conference room in this big table with all these papers spread out all over the, uh, the, the table. And I was 
analyzing this information. And, and what became extremely clear to me is that this company was extremely um, uh, disorganized. You know, it was just an amazing, it was, you know, I would call it organized chaos in the sense that, you know, just, just a lot of um, ideas executed poorly, a lot of different directions, a lot of different paths without really follow through or, or without any meaningful thought. And so I actually went through this process. And, and unfortunately, what I discovered from my first couple of weeks is that this company had effectively burned through an overwhelming majority of its cash, and it really had very little runway. And so it didn't take me too long to realize, and I told the investors, is you guys hired me for a company that's going to be out of business in two months. You know, not a great scenario to be in. So suffice it to say, I, I didn't end up continuing that role. But what it made me realize is that, you know, there was these really two extreme um, environments that I personally experienced. On the one hand, you had this extremely uh, planning focused, you know, uh, business environment that you have mostly in corporations that are built on the concept of certainty. Yeah, that's what that basic, you know, that's the, the guiding principle, you know, be as certain as possible what the future will bring. On the other hand, you had this in, in, environment of entrepreneurship where it was all about like, you know, move forward, get things done, da, 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 you know, just dynamic execution, but with extremely poor planning. And I thought to myself, you know, there's got to be a third way, you know, there's got to be a better way of doing this. And so I actually ended up kind of getting literally a blank sheet of paper. And I thought, you know, if I had to combine the best of these two worlds, what would it look like? And so I came up with a principle that said, what if you could take the, the best of corporate planning and combine it with the dynamic execution of entrepreneurship? And, and that created this kind of third way, this I call it the launch mindset, um, which, which I believe, if properly applied, could really create this incredible launch pad for, for growth. And so what happened is that I was armed with this insight and I started working with startups as a mentor and I and I, I shared this idea with many of them. They were like, oh, that's really great. You know, I didn't think of it that way. And yeah, we could do some a bit of planning, but I don't want to become too corporate and all this stuff. And what happened is that I noticed that they understood the principle, but they didn't understand how to apply it. And so what I started doing is I started putting together the pieces like, you know, a chef putting together a recipe of like, OK, so if I had to put this launch mindset into action, what would it look like? And I started creating this kind of three pillar system that says, okay, well, first of all, you got to focus, right? You got to understand, you know, where are you going to put your limited time, resources, and energy? And so I created this three-step process of if you're a business that's building a sales organization, you better know your value proposition, you better know your product offering, and you better know your client messaging. How are you communicating with clients? That was the focus piece. And then I said, okay, well, if you got this focus, you got to be able to implement it in some way. And so I created this kind of sales pillar, which is about, you know, creating some tools and platforms that capture the, your messaging to clients, then using a really clear structured outbound sales organizational structure. I'm mean, not organization, sorry, process, and then an inbound marketing structure. And then that came to the second pillar. And the third pillar was, okay, well, it's a good thing to have focus and good to have uh, structure in your sales, but you got to manage this in some meaningful and effective way, productive way. And so I actually created this kind of third pillar, which is manage, which is about, you know, goal setting, um, performance management and team and organization and operations. And so that in itself created what became uh, this business development framework called the launch code. Love it. Uh, let's uh, start with the focus one. And by the way, we already have a couple of questions and uh, we'll, those of you who are listening uh, us live, keep on asking questions. We'll go into a Q&A at, uh, at some point. Uh, but uh, at the moment, I just want to get into the first one. So focus. What are startups doing wrong when it comes to focus? And what can they do to be better in focusing on the things that are most important? Mm -hmm. So the nature of startups is chaotic. It is just a fundamental characteristic of it, especially at the beginning, right? When you're looking for, you know, the, 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 um, the holy grail of startup world, which is the product market fit, right? When you've got the product and the market and, you know, people are willing to pay for what you're selling. And that interim, that, that early stage process is about discovery. And so with discovery, it becomes a lack of focus. What I believe is a big problem is that a lot of startup founders spend too much time in that, in that zone, right? Of that zone of discovery. And they start doing too many things at once. They start talking to too many types of customers. They have too many types of products. They don't really have a clear focused message. And so it becomes this really big uncontrolled mess. And so what, as a result, you don't have a clear product development plan. You don't have a clear message to your clients. You don't have a clear organization because you don't know what people to hire, right? So it's just, it's just, it's just fundamentally um, it creates this extremely chaotic and unfocused environment. And so what I believe is critical is like, at some stage, as early as possible, choose a path, 
that might not be your final path, but at least it is a path that you go down and you start creating the building blocks for that. And so the first building block of that path is your value proposition. Why should people buy what you're selling? Fundamental question, right? And so you create a very clear message. You know, you, you know, this is what I do, the problem I solve, this is how I solve it, and this is why I'm better than the competition. You should be able to explain that to me in a single sentence. Then the next piece is product offering, right? A lot of people have, you know, particularly services businesses, right? Um, you know, we uh, we are providing a service that will help you analyze your data, or or we are experts in in robotics, um, or we are you know experts in agriculture. Okay, but okay, but what do I buy? Like, what what are you actually offering me, right? And so and so you actually have to be able to put that into a package, and that package is based on a business model, it's based on pricing model, it's based on some sort of you know, messaging. My personal view is people like to choose between three things. Yeah, if you've got three different things to choose from, most people will change the, the one in the middle. That's what you should make your primary offer. And then you've got a cheaper offer and a premium offer and, and at a very basic level. And then the third thing is, is client messaging. You know, I don't know how, Stiana, if you've experienced this, you know, in the corporate world, you know, this, the, 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 the following scenario plays out all the time, right? You set a meeting with a person or a client or a business partner, and they go into the room, they pull out their PowerPoint presentation, and they start with, you know, very nice to meet you. I'm going to spend the next 15 minutes talking about how great I am. This is the, um, you know, we are in 15 offices. We have 2,000 employees. We do business with ABC. And I'm just sitting there going, you know what? I really genuinely don't care. Tell me what problem you're going to solve for me. And then I'll care about who you are because then I want to know whether or not you're going to be able to solve it. And so, so that's I'm going to stop you here just to give an example. I, my yeah. background is from movie and video production. So I, uh -huh. was, uh, I was a producer doing videos for businesses uh, back when I was in Denmark. And I remember once we got uh, approached by a regionally famous uh, music band that wanted us to create a music video. Mm -hmm. And we had this meeting with all these creative people and we prepared really well, right? We had this presentation, we did right. some sample of how the video should look like, the, right. the final music video, whatever. And we sit down and we're like, okay, guys, we are level up pictures. Uh, we've done these videos for these clients. It wasn't more than five minutes, but they were almost sleeping. They were almost <laughs> sleeping, right? The minute I was like, we, we took some time and we edited the little sample of how your video could look like. Right. everybody's back on track man yeah and, and exactly. we had a discussion afterwards and the guys were like you almost lost it at the beginning man like yeah. i don't care about your video like if you're here with us at the meeting me means that we already there's a reason we invited you right we yeah probably of course did this this research i don't yeah. care like you can send me that as a follow-up but what about me what's in it for exactly. me and i think well, many exactly. Founders are, exactly are getting this wrong it's yeah. like we're building this product we're building these features yeah but why should i care man you, yeah, absolutely. I don't care about you making more sales. I don't even know you. Hi, I'm Jordan. Uh, we are doing this uh, software for businesses. Dude, who are you? I, I don't know you, man. Like, why? Yeah. Why? You tell, like, so many people on LinkedIn, they reach you out and, and they're, they're wasting time. They're wasting your time as well. They meet you at a conference. Hi, what's your name? Stoyan. Uh, we have a software. And, like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> just wait. Yeah. I well, I think that I think the startup version of this is that you you know, and this kind of goes to the focus question I started with, which is after you've got your value proposition, you've got your product offering, you need a client message that engages your client at a central level and builds from there. And it starts with how do we this how is do the, we create this? How do we yeah. create a, a powerful client message? You start with the desired outcome. What I mean by that is you have to decide what it is your client imagines as a, as what they want to achieve, right? And so if you're a um, a service that um, I'll go back to, you know, I'm just trying to think of a, of a client that I, that I've worked with. Um, I work with a, a, a robotics uh, company, a company with deals with robots, but offers kind of a logistic solution um, for big warehouses in, in large traffic areas. They're called bots and us. They're based in the UK. You know, their, their client's desired outcome is a warehouse that is properly structured. I can find everything and I know, uh, you know, where it goes from point A to point B, right? That's their desired outcome. So you have to create that very clear picture of what your client's desired outcome is. Then you say, well, you want that, but actually here's the problem. You don't have the necessary infrastructure. You don't have the necessary technology. You don't have the necessary people to make this happen. And that's costing you money, time, energy. 
well, we've got a solution that's going to give you this, uh, you know, this, uh, this, so, you know, get you to that desired outcome by doing A, B, C, right? And so you create that problem solution connection. And then once you've done that, then you start talking about who you've done business with, why you're the right people, because then if you've convinced them of the problem that they have and that you can solve it, they want to know, all right, can these guys deliver? That's when I want to know who you've worked with. That's when I want to know um, how incredible you are. That's when I want to know. But if you start with that, then you haven't actually explained to me why I should care. And so that kind of messaging framework, which, which I kind of take through six different steps, I just talked about the first three, then becomes the basis for your client messaging, which then will get your clients to engage, right? Because everybody knows they can reach people with messaging, but it's very different when you actually get them to take action, to set a meeting, to organize a call, to request more information. That's when the sales process actually begins. We actually have a question, uh, comment question from uh, somebody watching us live. Thank you guys for in engaging. I'll be taking questions depending on the topic we're exploring at the moment. Uh -huh. So uh, the comment question is, the value proposition ceased to be a bias as the customer persona was imaginary generated. When would you start collecting feedback from external stakeholders, e.g. imagined users and customers? Okay, so I, th I think if I understand correctly, the, the question is: I mean, you at some stage obviously have to imagine a particular persona, as they as they refer to it, a target co target customer. When do you start actually engaging with external stakeholders to to um, to validate? Right. And so my point of view is that you should obviously have an assumption based on basic market research and feedback and discussion. So you know you'll have some reasonable um, uh, exp expectations to who your target customers. And I think you should start engaging with them quasi immediately, right? I mean, the quicker you can validate your assumptions, the more likely it is that you will find the right ultimate fit. I believe that it is very, um, it is very uh, difficult to get it right the first time. And so I think you have to understand that it is a process of elimination. I'll, be, I'll give you my own example. When I started what I'm doing now, which is supporting business to business tech startups, my original thought was I'm going to work with SMEs and startups, right? That was both small businesses, both of them. I discovered in my discovery, you know, in my, in my process that actually SMEs have a very different perspective on the world than startups. Startups are by nature global. They're scalable because they're technology focused. Uh, you could be a really strong small business that's relevant for a single market and actually can just generate significant growth from a single market. So for me, it was clear that I had to kind of hive that off and just starting the startups. And then I realized, well, um, actually, not our startups. Startups are created equal because there are startups that are, first of all, consumer focused and they're business focused. Well, I happen to be an expert in business to business sales, so I'm not going to start focusing on business to consumer startups. I took that off the table. Then I said, okay, well, actually, business to business tech startups, some are product led, right? So they've got a product, they sell them for 29 euros a month, and they basically drive, uh, you know, inbound marketing, and that's where they build their business. And then there are business to business startups that are built on enterprise sales, which is basically talking to other customers, other businesses, and doing businesses through them. Well, I'm an expert in that. I'm not necessarily an expert in product-led growth. I can do it, but it's not my sweet spot. And so what happened is I went with an assumption that this, and I slowly started to eliminate it until I got to the point where actually I'm focused on the real customers that I can truly help build. And I think that's the same process you go through as you create your value proposition, you identify your target customer. And there's actually a question that's connected. Uh, do you have a strategy for validating assumptions? Mm -hmm. I think the best way to validate your assumptions is to start talking to people and connecting with people and having that conversation. Um, and, you know, that sounds obvious, but very few people do it. Um, there's a tendency to live in a bubble and to think that, you know, the information is going to come your way. I actually believe very strongly in correct, connecting with people, creating relationships through your networking and, and, and just getting feedback from the market. Um, that's unfortunately one of the things that has fallen by the wayside in this online world we live in, because a lot of these connections and this networking happens on a person to person level. Um, but yeah, I think you, um, you validate because you start talking to potential customers that you believe to be relevant, having conversations with them, providing your value proposition, seeing what resonates with them, seeing what doesn't resonate with them and making that adjustment over time. And that's, what's going to create, um, that, that fit that ultimately will be something that you can scale. And I think this is such a relevant point, uh, Zoltan. And many, especially tech founders, they're afraid to show their product and or, or the mock-ups of their product early on. And they're building 
products without knowing whether the mar market actually is willing to pay for this product or for the certain price or how much do they value the different type of features so so they built all kind of different features and half of these features they spend so much time to build that nobody wants to use them right yeah 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 absolutely and and you know that's that's i think one of the fundamental principles of product development in a startup environment is that you iterate for, on an ongoing basis you create a minimum viable product an mvp you test it you get feedback then you add to it and you don't spend three years developing a product and then see if it gets good you present various small bits and pieces of your product and ultimately you grow it that way. But an interesting thought I just had as you were mentioning this is you know a lot of startup founders don't want to share their ideas um, up front and and I actually had a really interesting insight. I, I have a podcast myself. it's called Launch Stories and I, I will basically interview um, successful founders and investors and talk about what it takes to build a successful global business. And um, I had an, in, uh, a discussion with uh, a startup founder. His name is uh, Jonas de Gomen. He's a uh, founder of a company called Spot, a Belgian um, ad med marketing technology company. And he had a really interesting insight. He said, you know, I, I've often asked, you know, I get approached by uh, by startup founders and they're like, well, they don't want they, they want me to sign an NDA when when they tell me their idea. And I said, look, um, you know, the, the idea that you have is probably five percent of the success. The other 95 percent is execution. If you're afraid that you're going to share my idea and I'm going to do it instead of you, you're probably creating something that's too easy to replicate. And frankly, you're better off if somebody like me or somebody else actually copies it because you're going to save yourself years of time and lots of money um, because the barrier to entry is simply too low. And I thought that was a really interesting uh, uh, thought there that that at the end of the day, you know, startups are not about, well, I've just created the greatest things in sliced bed. It's like, OK, I've got an interesting idea. It seems to have a relevant it seems to be solving a relevant problem that people are willing to pay me to solve. And then there's like literally you know, this huge pathway you need to follow in order to bring this to life and to create it into a sustainable business. And it, and that's where the value is created. It's not because you just came, came up with the, you know, the, a better mousetrap. Let me let me give you another great example. Thank, thanks for sharing this, Zoltan. I, um, we included this example actually in our book, Perform the Unsexy Truth About Startup Success uh, in the section about focus and execution. It's a company who has a co-founder from Bulgaria, actually, from, from the region. It's a, it's an American company called Lean Plum on the way mm -hmm. to become a unicorn. They're doing really, really well. But the, at the early day, days of the of the company, they weren't sure whether people want to buy the product, what should be the product they want to create. And so what they did is they booked themselves to go to a conference with their target customers mm -hmm. and... They literally got all the names of 200 people from their target audience. They split up the two co-founders and each of them went and spoke to 100 people for two days or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And they figure out these are not the people that we need to sell to because they don't have any interest. But it took them no time, right? Yeah, and, like, and I think, and I think, I think that's what a great example. And and you know, I'm not familiar with the company, but you say they're a kind of a unicorn bread company. Clearly, this is what leads to success. I mean, this kind of structured approach to business development is exactly what I believe to be the key to business to business success. And what I what I aspire to is in sharing the launch code is that you know, sales is not based on well, I know this guy, let me talk to him, and then, you know, I had this idea to do this. It's like okay, let's get a very structured approach. Let's identify who our prospects are. Let's find out the people within the prospects who are the decision makers. Let's get in front of them, get their attention, get a meeting, get to a decision. And by the way, let's use partnerships to try to elevate our effectiveness through, you know, you know, leveraging the, the relationships that partners might have. And that kind of very structured approach to sales is what I think a lot of startups lack and what you can bring from a kind of a corporate environment and adapt to a startup environment to deliver a really efficient sales approach. What I'm interested also to hear is you've been on the other side, right? You've been working in corporates and B2B startups, they're sometimes, especially early on, struggling to get the attentions of, uh, of corporates. They want to yeah. sell to the corporates, but hey, everybody's pitching. Everybody's trying to sell something to the corporates. They're very busy. Are these guys actually secure, doing well? Putting the glasses of a corporate, you know, can you can you remember a case in which somebody approached you in such an elegant way that you couldn't say no to get a meeting? 
Uh huh. Well, it's funny that you should say, uh, you know, use the word elegant because I think it's a very, very telling, telling term. I think the challenge that a lot of startups have in their communication with corporate customers or potential corporate customers is that sort of very, very um, loose, innovative, um, carefree kind of image that a lot of startups seem to think is a value in the startup world. You know, and, you know, there's the caricature of the startup guy with the backpack and the hoodie and the Starbucks cup and the, you know, Apple, you know, MacBook on under his arm. Yeah, that's all cool. But look, at the end of the day, if you want to do business with business to business corporations, you better be elegant. And that means you better know your stuff. You better be able to present it in a compelling way that explains why it's good for them to do business with you. And you better do what you say you're going to do, you know, and those themselves um, in the corporate environment are simply matters of hygiene, right? You literally simply have to tech check the boxes because if you don't have that, you're just not going to play in that game in that, in that field. And I think that um, what I what I think a lot of startups try, uh, don't understand is that showing up in a ripped T-shirt and jeans and kind of leaning back and say, hey, I'm going to change the world might work in Silicon Valley for a certain, you know, bubble, but it doesn't work in the corporate world. It really doesn't because you're not perceived as a credible business partner. And that's the fundamental um, uh I would say threshold you have to overcome when you're starting a business as a startup is you have to become a credible partner for corporations. They're not going to do business with somebody that they feel is not going to be in business in the next 12 to 18 months, you know? And so in order to achieve that, you have to create a very clear value proposition. You have to be able to package it in a very compelling way that puts their problem at the center. And you have to be able to deliver a clear solution in the way that you've described it on time, on budget. And if you're working now for a corporate and, and you've been approached by multiple startup founders in, in any ways, what would be some of the things that would uh, help you to say yes to a meeting? Could it be somebody, let's say, that is very structured, prepares an agenda, uh, it's not uh, writing any fluff, but it's really straight to the point what they want? Or would it be, for example, somebody who's asking for genuine feedback? Mm -hmm. Would you be more likely in, in that case? And and just uh, to 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 share a story here myself, I mm -hmm. it was really successful for me back when I was uh, building my video production business in Denmark to reach out to people in my target audience and genuinely ask them for a cup of coffee. Hi, can I buy you a cup of coffee? We knew in the in the town. We we have no idea about the market. Uh, we have these fantastic videos we do on a very cheap budget but we don't know how to approach the market. It would be very meaningful if you have 20 minutes, we'd like to buy a cup of coffee and I'm not going to sell you anything. I just want to get some feedback. 50% of people said yes. Mm -hmm. We went, we had a cup of coffee. I sent them agenda. I asked them the last five minutes of the call, of, not the call, sorry. Uh, now you're on the call, right? Like uh, <laughs> That was yeah, when you actually, actually met with people in a room. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so we'll meet in a cup of coffee. They'll get to know me and the last five minutes, I'll be turning it around. What do you do these days? What can we help you with? Oh, actually, I'm looking for a new designer. Okay. We actually know some people. We'll share it, introduce you. So creating value, creating the connection. When the 20-minute time was over, I'll just say I'll, I'll really help grateful for, for the time. Uh, but uh, we want to respect your time. 20 minutes are over. We're gonna, then we are done with the meeting. I go home. I send them an email with the key takeaways from the meeting, advice, what we're going to implement. I introduce them to the person that they asked me to, and mm -hmm. that's it. And that ended up giving us a lot of opportunities afterwards. Some of them immediately came with an idea. Oh, maybe we can use you guys for making videos. Or I know this person that we can recommend it because you're the cool guy, right? You're not. Yeah, of course. You don't want to. Of course. So. Yeah, yeah. Look, so so I think the describe the, the the approach you described is a fantastic one. It can be very effective. I think it's much more relevant at the very early stages of your development. In other words, when you are in a position where you're trying to discover what what market you're speaking to, what problem you want to solve, and how you're going to solve it. And and you, I do believe that if you are honest and and upfront about your objectives, and that you pr treat people with respect, you give you respect their time. Um, then I think that you will be able to gather a lot of information you know, get out of your bubble and your head, right? And kind of get into the real world and, and, and develop that stuff. So I think that's really great. I think once you've gone to the point where you're actually looking to do business with um, a corporation, you have to be, you know, there's an expression buttoned up, right? You have to be 
put together. You have to have your pro value proposition. You have to be professional. You have to create a presentation that 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 gets the essence of why you can deliver value to your customers. Um, but but at the beginning stages, I think it is it is a very good tool that you know approach that you described and something I would I, I've certainly done in my myself over the course of my career. Um, you know, reached out and you know I've, I've explored various business opportunities and over the years, and I've often spent some time with these type of conversations. Um, you know, a great place to do what you just described in a very efficient way is you know conferences and exhibitions and trade shows, right? That's an environment in which everybody's effectively there to do business, right? So you have you've already jumped over that first milestone of like, why are you talking to me? Well, I'm here because I want to build business relationships just the way that you are. And then, you know, there you can set up very efficient meetings um, very quickly, just get the basic information. And then, you know, you can, you know, then follow up accordingly with people who are, are, are the best fit with what you have to offer and then, you know, get into more detailed conversations. That's what unfortunately has been somewhat sidelined over the last couple of years. Um, but we got a taste of it uh, last week, right? In, uh, in uh, Brotslav and it was, uh, it was a great, great way to, um, to to get back into the swing of things. Once again, a big shout out to Wolf Summit for uh, being courageous to to put up this amazing event uh, yeah. and for us to go and network. And, and previously there was this expression, I don't know, maybe, maybe you've heard about it. It was very famous, right? Sales is hunting, marketing is fishing, right? Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and it was this traditional understanding about what is what is sales. But I kind of think it's shifting. No, nobody wants to be hunted, right? Nobody wants yeah. to be. And if we have the mindset that we want to hunt somebody, then then we we want something. We want to take, yeah. Um, which I believe, specifically in the last few years, we start to realize that it's about creating value upfront. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's something that I would like to really emphasize for those of you who are founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders who sometimes might forget this. It's not, I know you want to make the numbers. I know you have some targets, but what if you start playing the long-term game? What mm -hmm. if you say, who are the people I want to serve with my product? What do they need? It might not be my product. What do they need? There's multiple examples of companies during Corona that decided, hey, we cannot serve our, our industry at the moment because of the pandemic. What we can do though, is we can create value. We can, we can do some events virtually where we invite people and get them to to network we can what can you do with your expertise or with your network with your connection so you can start creating value up front and you're yeah. not asking for anything and, and then you're in a position that people are like okay these are the cool guys they do this great software uh so so i just wanted to hear your thoughts about that yeah well. I, I agree 100 i think sales is not about getting the closing you know there's a there's a sort of in the in the classic sort of sales uh, uh approach there's abc always be closing right which is like you know you're constantly closing new business yeah but i think at this stage uh you know the world has evolved um there's competition is significant it's, it's much more available accessible because of the online world so i think you do have to build relationships and you start building relationships by giving rather than receiving just like in the real world, when you're building relationships with people, whether it's your your family or your friends or your partners, um, you know, you, you, it doesn't, you know, it only works if, if each party is giving rather than just receiving. And so I think in that sense, um, what you described is a great, great approach. Um, you know, the way I do that in my own um, business is I, I provide tremendous amount of content, videos, um, you know, tips uh, through my own social media platforms. Um, you know, the podcast, uh, in the same way that you've launched this podcast, I have my own podcast, again, offering insights into what successful entrepreneurs and investors have done. You know, those are all uh, my attempts at, at providing value and hopefully getting, you know, uh, at some stage when the time is right, getting some, some you know, incoming interest into what I have to say and how I can help customers because they hear something or they get an impression of me as an individual that, that says, okay, this guy seems like he knows what he's talking about and you know, he's somebody that I can maybe actually work with. So, so yeah, absolutely. It's the long game um, and it's, it's looking for the right relationships at the right time. And talking about that, you, you already mentioned the networking and in-person events have been hardened in the last couple of years, but, but I think many founders are, would be curious to hear from you some effective networking tips how should we approach networking if we are about to go to an event, if we're about to meet some people from the right kind of people, from our target market uh, partners and so on? What would be your networking tips? Mm -hmm. Well, I'd say three things. First, um, you know, I think the, the greatest networking tool currently available is LinkedIn. 
I think it's it's effectively a platform built for networking. Um, in the same way, we just talked about the importance of giving rather than just you know going for the clothes. You know, um, I, I definitely encourage people to build relationships on LinkedIn in the same way they do in person. In other words, you don't connect and then send your sales message. You know, you know, seven seconds later, I get that a lot, and it doesn't really resonate with me because you just you feel like you're being connected with to be sold. Um, and I think that you know, building a relationship that way. Say, I see, you know, I see that uh, you're in that in the same industry. Let's stay in touch. Or, hey, I saw you spoke at this event. I thought you had something really interesting to say. Let's stay in touch. You know, doing those kind of initial openings to get you on there in the same network. Um, and frankly, then, you know, I'm sure many of you know this, that once you're a first level connection on LinkedIn, they're, they're more likely to see the content that you publish on LinkedIn because you're a first level connection. And so there's a combination there where you're entering that relationship digitally, and then they're seeing you on their feed, and they're seeing that you're more than just a person who just tried to sell them something, but I can actually have value. So that's the first thing. The second thing I say is I'm a huge proponent of events and exhibitions and conferences. I think it's a it's a fertile environment for business relationships and business connections because people are effectively there to do business. And that is, I think, the greatest thing, right? Because you're not interrupting them while they're writing their 75th email or they're in their 16th Zoom call. You're actually there when they are there to do business. And so I believe very much in using those type of events by trying to set meetings in advance as much as possible. Um, trying to set your schedule, obviously leaving some room for movement, but but having a series of meetings set up in advance with literally nothing more than, hey, I see you're attending, I'm doing this. If this is something you'd be interested in learning more about because this is the problem I solve, then please let me know. Um, again, I did it just to Wolf Summit, right? And again, it wasn't, um, by the way, interesting insight. It wasn't, hey, let's meet. It was like, I help business-to-business -business tech startup scale globally by, by applying a business development framework I've created. If you have problems closing deals, let me know. Uh, maybe I can help, right? So again, it was a very clear statement of, of this is the value I deliver. And if there's something you're interested in, let's meet. It wasn't, hey, let's chat, right? So it was, it was a little bit more focused. And then the third thing is, you know, I think very much that, you know, all of us through various stages of our lives have created a personal network of people that are not just online relationships. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with reaching out to people to say, hey, I see you're connected with, such and such company, could you please introduce me? Or can I mention that, you know, and I have been in business together, you know, there's a natural openness when you get connected to somebody through a common interest or comes to a common relationship, because you sort of feel first a bit obligated to say, well, if this guy connected me, at least I should, you know, give him the, the time of the day. And also there's a sense of, okay, of, of uh, credibility, right? So, okay, if this person who I trust has recommended this, you know, service provider, then, then they might be worth my time, right? So, it's using LinkedIn smartly, using your events and planning in advance, but providing a value even in your initial approach. And third, using your existing personal network to get connected to decision makers and companies that you might want to do business with. Those to me are kind of the three most important networking tips. Thank you so much, Zoltan. This is so, so useful. Uh, and I think many people will be very happy listening to this episode to to at least get reminded because sometimes we we just get off track like it, it's kind of like common sense but but again when you put yeah. it together and say hey this is what you should focus on and yes wolf summit uh what a great example also podium doing this matchmaking uh opportunities i think there were more than 2400 meetings something like that being created and yeah as you said it's 15 minute meeting but everybody knows why we're here right yeah we come to yeah. the meeting only because you're interested to to hear investors yeah, to exactly. hear the startup uh businesses to hear other businesses how they can collaborate so uh that's a, that's a fantastic accelerated opportunity for you to achieve the goal what you want to achieve yeah. to create the the network sometimes drinks are helpful as well right <laughs> the... it loosens the tongue right <laughs> no but it's true right like i mean when you get into this kind of networking parties whatever just humor and jokes yeah, Being human, because we, we sometimes too much into this kind of a, I don't know, hunting, right? Like I need to go yeah, and yeah, get, yeah. get leads. It's like you gotta be loose sometimes. You gotta you gotta connect. You gotta create some experiences with people, and then it's like, okay, I know this guy. He's cool. What is yeah. he doing? I, I don't know what he's doing, but uh, I kind of trust him. He's a good guy. Oh, yeah. he's actually doing these things. His productivity, great. What do you do? Oh man, this this is amazing. We actually need this kind of stuff, man. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think look at the at, at the end of the day, people buy from people. 
right? They don't buy from machines. And so I think, you know, that you want to create that relationship. Interestingly, you know, it's, it's, uh, it does take some getting used to, I mean, especially for people who are more traditional in their approach, or, you know, maybe over 50, perhaps, um, you know, they, they're, they're less used to that, right? It's more of a business business relationship. And this and kind of, especially this online environment, you know, that you, you do have to create these personal relationships in some capacity, because there's just, there's just too many other options available to people at your fingertips. Um, what, that, what that you with. Would it be your your advice for uh, people asking for referrals? Like, is there any specific tips you you can provide in terms of being more effective in asking for referrals? Let's say I know you, you know somebody else I want to get connected to, or huh? or uh, I've done work for for you and you are happy, and now I see somebody you know and I'm asking you to introduce me. What would be some tips to do it the right way, so to say? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well, I think there's two types of referrals. I mean, you reference both of them. The first is where you're just simply asking for somebody to introduce you to a potential business partner. Uh, you don't necessarily, you've never, he's never been your client or you don't have a business relationship, but you happen to have a common interest. Look, I think there, there's a bit of give and take, right? I mean, I'm very conscious of helping people connect with people in my network. I've never found it to be a, a burden. You know, I, I, I tend to connect people just as a matter of course not for any personal gain, but just because I think that's a good thing to do. Um, and then once you do that enough, you know, things tend to come back, you know, there's a law of attraction, right? You get a lot of things coming back to your way. So I think if you get into the habit of connecting people, there's nothing wrong with asking, Hey, I noticed you're connected. Would you be comfortable with connecting me? And I've had sometimes people said, look, I don't know him that well, or I'm not sure I'm your best way in. Um, maybe you should find somebody else. That's perfectly fine. Don't take it personal. You know, life goes on. The other type of connection, which is basically asking an existing client to refer you, um, is a very powerful tool, right? Because there's nothing more powerful than saying, hey, I've done business with this person. He's provided me the service that he provides to, would provide to you, and I'm really happy with him, and I think he did a great job. I mean, what better reference than that, right? I mean, you, you basically are halfway there. Um, those are very valuable. Obviously, you want to do that with companies that you feel were satisfied with what you had to offer because at the end of the day, that's the value. Um, and I don't have any problem with that. I mean, I think, you know, generally people, if they feel like they've gotten good value from you as a service provider, whether it's a technology or whether it's a service, you know, they, they shouldn't have any problem referring you to others. If they, if they have a problem, it could be because they weren't happy with, you know, what you had to offer. And so that's, a, that's also a bit of feedback um, from, from, uh, from the market, so to speak. Do you have any, any, strategies uh, proactive strategies i'll say when it comes to reminding your existing clients that you exist meaning i mean obviously you're posting a lot creating content on linkedin and so on but uh you know sometimes clients are so busy they, they were happy doing some work with you yeah and then you haven't really done anything for six months 12 months do you have any yeah. proactive strategies to remind them hey i'm here i can help you out guys uh -huh. Well, I think if you're asking for a referral, I mean, I think you should do it. Uh, you know, you should ask for something that reflects their view of you as a professional service provider or as a, as a, as a client or a business partner when your relationship is either ending or has ended. I mean, it should be relatively fresh in their mind. So if you've done business with somebody from Jan to April, going back in November and asking them for a reference is probably more difficult because, you know, life goes on. Um, I think that if you... Uh, make it a point of staying in touch with your customers, which I actually do make a point of. I mean, I make a point of every three to six months, I do reconnect with them. Then, you know, inevitably, if they're happy with the the, the work that you did and the, that they were, you know, happy with the service you provided, then they'll come back and they'll say, hey, you know, I just thought of you because there's some, you know, some new problem I want to solve. Um, I guess in my particular case, because I've got a really focused solution to a very focused problem, you know, my these business relationships tend to last three to six months. And then there's a natural progression because these companies then move on to a next stage of development where, where my support um, is not as relevant because they've hired, let's say, a more senior sales team in-house and they're kind of doing this stuff themselves. Um, so in that sense, there's a natural progression. For me, it's a question of, okay, what do I offer afterwards to maintain that relationship um, at a later stage? And that's something that I'm working on as we speak to, to figure out that next stage of, of support. Right. But but you're proactive in your approach in terms of uh, if you don't get contacted, you you will reach out again and say, hey, how, how have you been? You want to jump on a call? Uh, just absolutely. To see how it's in my to-do list every, you know, I, I'll say, you know, if it's March, I say, I'm going to reach out to this person in June and just say, hey, how are you doing? Honestly, without any expectations, but just to say, hey, how are things progressing? Are you, are you, you know, are you developing the way that we hoped? I love that, man.
I love that you shared. I I don't think that's something that uh, many people do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Even well, it's part of the, it's part of the long game, right? We talked about it. it's part of building the relationships and 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 feeling. Yeah, it's not it's not about you upselling, even though you might. But it's about let's let's see. You know, did did my solution actually help them? What, what happened? Yeah, exactly. Is there anything I can do to help you? Oh, yeah. introduce you to this person. Like building the relationship this is the long term yeah. game. I love it, man. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely love it. Awesome, uh, Zoltan. It's been such a, such an amazing uh, 50 minutes already. But I want to ask you a little bit about the productivity topics, which we haven't covered uh -huh. yet. In, uh, basically, and this is something we share in common. Also, at Podium, mm -hmm. I remember you speaking about focus. You speak about uh, productivity. What helps you to stay at the top of your game? You're doing so many different things, working with many organizations, sustaining your personal life, you know, marriage and everything, <laughs> right? So, so how do you stay on the top of your game and stay on top of things? Uh -huh. Well, look, I think it's important to define what productivity means. In my mind, productivity is it begins with deciding where you're going to devote your limited time, energy and resources, and then spending the rest of the time making sure you stick to delivering against the the focus that you've identified. So um, so there is a certain amount of commitment to decide what you want to do and then that you're going to actually do it. And, and that might seem a bit obvious, but actually very few people, not very few, but, but many people don't take the time to actually decide what they want to focus on, right? They're just taken by, you know, it's sort of like being a, a boat in the middle of the ocean without a rudder, right? You're, you're just going where the waves take you. You know, they haven't decided, well, actually, that's the direction I'm heading in, and then I'm going to push myself in that direction. Um, so so I think that, you know, I think creating that focus is a critical first step. Um, why is it important? Well, first of all, if you know what you want to achieve, you know what you want to, uh, uh, and this, by the way, is the same in your personal life, in your professional life, in your family life. If you, if you decide, actually, what is that desired outcome, then you can suddenly find a path that leads you there. There's this magic of like deciding what you want and then all of a sudden it being presented to you. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a really, um, really mundane everyday example of this. Um, I don't know if, when the last time you bought a car was. I bought a car about a year ago, a new one. And, you know, every five or six years I buy a new car. And I remember, you know, going through the, the various brochures and, and deciding that I had decided that I was going to buy a particular brand of Volkswagen, a Volkswagen Arton. A black one, in fact, I decided. And and so I remember making this conscious decision that I was going to buy this type of car, but I hadn't actually done anything other than make this decision. And a strange thing happened because I was driving, you know, on the road and all of a sudden it's like everywhere I looked, there was a black Volkswagen Arton coming my way. I mean, it was like parking next to me. It was by the light. It was on the other side of the road. And it felt like the entire environment around it had decided to buy the exact same car that I had which of course isn't the case. It's just simply, I became aware of something. I started focusing on something and the, the, the focus started coming my way, right? You just start noticing things that you hadn't noticed before. And I think that's how focus works, right? If you decide what is important to you, what you want to achieve, then you simply start seeing things and discovering things that lead you in that path. Now, the difficult part is when you actually have to execute it. Um, you know, you often, especially when you're building a business, right? You've got so many, you know, things to do day to day. You got your to-do list and it's like, you just get stuck in that, in that mode of like, okay, taking off the to-do list. And I think you need to be able to say no, right? You need to be able to say, okay, this is not on focus. I'm not going to do this because it doesn't actually get me to where I want to go. And just that conscious decision and having a focus enables you to say no easily, more easily, I would say, right? So just simply it enables you to, to say, you know, okay, that doesn't really fit with what I want to do. And so how I do it um, personally is two things. First, I, I define what I call my destination. And my destination is something actually something that I, I share as part of the launch code as well as destination planning is like, I, I've defined and I will help my clients define, okay, so what do you see your business being in, in 24 months? Like define it. What does it look like? Imagine yourself at that moment in time and you've taken a photo, a snapshot of your business. What does it look like? Um, you know, what's your product look like? Um, how many customers do you have? Um, have you raised money? If so, how much from who? What's your organization look like? And I ask them to define a very clear picture of what that that outcome is. Once you've got that, then you've just got to make sure that it's front and center. So I, my, my little trick is you get a little post-it note, and I'm sure everybody's got one of these things on their, on their desk. And you just write whatever your destination is on that little post-it note. Um, and that could be a picture. It could be a number. It could be anything that defines that. And you just put it somewhere where you see it every day. Um, I have one on my, you know, on my uh, mirror at home when I shave in the morning. I've got one on my computer. It's right here. I see it every day. It's just something I'm constantly reminded of. 
unconsciously. Um, and so that's the first thing is to really have a clear destination. And the second thing is just simply committing to sticking with that destination um, with all sorts of tips and tricks, um, you know, that just gets me through my to-do list in a, in a more practical way. Thanks, man. Thanks, uh, super, super, super valuable, the destination. I got even kind of thinking about you know, what the destination should be with the, with the post-it notes and so on. Uh, uh -huh. and, and I think you, you, you're making such a good point in terms of it's even more important to decide what to say no to mm -hmm. and become better in saying no to things. Yeah. Because there's so many opportunities. We in in our book, in the chapter of focus and execution in the performance methodology, we speak about the five villains of focus and execution. Mm -hmm. And one of them is the shiny object syndrome. <laughs> and, and and founders, entrepreneurs, they love to get into new stuff. They love to say yes to this new thing. There's this uh, marketing strategy. Oh, this is amazing. Let's just do it. But we already 120% busy on these things. Yeah, yeah, but this new thing, the next day the, the founder comes, the new thing, the new thing, the new thing. It's like, uh, it's, a, it's a disease to some extent, right? Yeah. So, so we the discipline to say no, to remain focused on the few things that, not based on your emotion, but rationally thinking you know these are the right things to do in the next three or six months. And hey, it's not always sunshine and roses. It's not always fun. If you wanna, if you wanna build something, if you wanna build progress, that's that's something we don't talk enough about. We show these pictures and paint the picture of the glorious entrepreneur. You know, the the, the five ten companies that we always refer to, tech companies, of founders that actually made it. And but we don't talk about the process, right? The lonely yeah. nights, the doubt, the difficult moments, the the financial struggles, all these kind of difficult things. And at the end of the day, those those people that you'll see there on the on the cover of the magazine, on the on the Business Insider, and so on, these guys were really really focused. Absolutely, and and you know one of the guys that I've studied a lot um, in in as part of my own career progression, but also as in some of the work I do with my startup founders is that is Steve Jobs, right? Uh, legendary uh, entrepreneur, probably one of the most um, impactful entrepreneurs of of his generation, uh, maybe even in history. Uh, that time will tell. Um, and, you know, he had an interesting practice. Um, he would ask his senior management regularly, what did you say no to today? So he would actually ask them to define what it is that they had said no to. And that was an expectation on his part. And, you know, there's um, there's this great story uh, um, I personally experienced uh, uh, interacting with with uh, or watching a video of Steve Jobs speaking. Um, that that defines this his his incredible focus and why he became what he became. Um, I found a video of him speaking um, in 1980, um, and he was about 25 years old. He uh, I think Apple was four years old. They had a single product. It was the Apple II desktop computer, and he was talking to some uh, delegation of or of uh, local business people in Southern California. Um, and um, and Steve Jobs is talking about you know what is the the biggest challenge that's facing. Uh, computer companies at that time. And he said the biggest challenge was that there was this mental barrier between people and their ability to use a computer. And he talks about how he thinks Apple is really well positioned to solve this problem because the whole philosophical foundation of the company is to create a personal relationship between a computer and a person. Now, what's amazing is this guy's 25 years old, um, 1980. Um, things like the personal computer, the laptop didn't exist. There was no such thing as a iPhone or a smartphone. There was no such thing as an app. The internet wasn't even available beyond beyond uh, uh, military use. So here's a guy who had basically created the effective, the, the essence of Apple in 1980, and then spent the rest of his career bringing it to life through the production of all these uh, products that have basically redefined the entire global economy and in global culture and everything, because it's created a personal relationship between a computer and a person. And of course, the irony in this whole thing is, is I'm literally watching him speak on an iPad that I'm holding in my hand as I'm like laying in my bed, ready to go to bed at night. Right. And so you just think about God, what unbelievable focus this guy had to achieve this vision and how much he had to say no to and how much struggle he had to go through. You know, he was fired. He was gone from Apple for almost 12 years um, during that time to bring this to life. And so I think that in itself is an incredible example of what, 
you know, of how to build a company that lasts just just through the power of focus. Do, do you think that's the that's the reason? I haven't been studying him uh, so much closely. I see you. Do you think that's the reason that Apple was launching one major product at a time in the early 2000s? Well, I think he was gone um, between 2000 and 2000. Well, no, he was gone from like 88 to like 2000. Um, well, what happened, this is interesting because what happened is that, you know, he was basically kicked out of the company sometime in the late 80s. I think he launched mm -hmm. the, the Apple Macintosh in 84. So something like 86, 87. And he was gone for 12 years. And the, while he was gone, the company ended up launching a ton of new products and they flopped one after the next. And so what happened is he was brought back in through the acquisition of, of a computer company called Next that he had created in okay. Apple Bottom. And he came back as interim CEO. And it was interesting because when he came back, the company was really in dire straits. I mean, they were something like three months away from complete illiquidity. That's right. And so what he did was he came back and said, look, I'm going to get rid of 90% of the products that we're producing. We're going to do four things. We're going to have a, a, a laptop and a desktop for a business user and a laptop and a desktop for a personal user. Full stop. He introduced a strategy and the next year, um, Apple went from completely being illiquid to having a profit of something in the range of $350 million. And so, you know, he had to steer the, the company back into that area that he had created, you know, originally simply by eliminating saying no to a bunch of stuff that his you know in the interim managers in the company had created you know it's, it's super interesting i i watched an interview with uh, i forgot his name the the ceo of nike uh phil knight. Was a um, phil knight i think uh, phil knight is the founder but he's a founder uh, yeah no there's the, the, another guy who who became a ceo like in after i don't know his name but anyway okay. this this guy he was um he had a conversation with Steve Jobs at some point when he got appointed and he was like, you know, they had a collaboration with Apple, you know, Nike, Apple, mm -hmm. and then they had, they were on the phone and he's like, so do, do you have any advice? You know, now, now like I'm stepping in as a CEO and, and he was like, ah, oh, no, no, you guys are doing great. And then, then he paused and he, he was like, I do have some advice. You guys are making some of the most brilliant products in the world. Absolutely stunning, great user experience, amazing products, but you also do a lot of crap. <laughs> just get rid of the crap and focus on the good stuff uh -huh. and and the guy was and he post and and the guy was like this was like this really got me right yeah you know we, we we did have previously you know maybe this to do <laughs> a lot of products that were not not so good so yeah so yeah it's really, really good well, I, think, I think the secret is the secret of course is finding what you focus on and that's that's the the excitement of of entrepreneurship and creating a uh a, a, a business that lasts and and you know and getting rid of all that stuff that you know drives your way and it's actually to get back to the essence of our conversation is is actually what's going to make you incredibly effective in business to business sales right i mean really focusing on the right customer with the right value proposition with a clear message you know creating an extremely structured um uh, results focused process in order to get to the customer to close business and then managing your performance um for uh, for maximizing results and you know and that's by the way i think we didn't talk about that that much but that's actually an interesting insight i've, I've gained as well when working with founders is that they are by nature intuitive people right they like to do things based on their gut but there's a point at which your company reaches a stage where your gut is not good enough and you have to create systems for evaluating performance and making decisions based on data and not on feeling and that's what the, the, that third pillar of the launch code is about is like creating a very clear understanding of what your objectives are how you're managing the performance of the company, what KPIs you're looking at, you know, kind of corporate stuff that may sound scary for a purebred entrepreneur, but like effectively, you know, necessary in order to be able to scale a business globally, which is ultimately the objective, I think, of most startup founders. Thank you, Zoltan. Thanks for sharing that as well. I think it's a really relevant point. I know the time is running. Do you have time for two questions in which you have 20 seconds to answer? I think they're really huh? fast sure, questions. We had uh, some people engaging live uh, on the live stream and uh, a couple of really uh, smile uh, creating questions, I think. <laughs> so the first one is, uh, how many weeks would you estimate to make an absolute newborn venture from zero to hero? Yeah. So, so I think I think the the uh, the question itself belies the fact that this person probably doesn't have a lot of experience in entrepreneurship. Uh, you know, entrepreneurship success is not measured in weeks. It's measured in years. Um, it always takes longer than you ever thought possible. Always. Um, yeah, of course, one in a million companies are scaled to billion dollar companies in 18 months, but that's literally like the, hitting the lottery. 
Um, so I don't believe in weeks. I believe in years. And if you're not prepared to go into this game to dedicate years of your life to making a success, don't even bother because it just doesn't happen that easily. It takes between seven and 11 years to make an exit, uh, according to data from company who make exit. That doesn't yeah. mean all the rest of the companies are not included in the data. So actually, the yeah. average is probably way, way higher. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Look, so, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Second question or final question. Have you accompanied the team emerging from a hackathon to a business? Uh, I mean, I guess me personally, I've been involved in a lot of accelerators. I, I work with uh, uh, some some accelerators in, in multiple markets with Design Terminal in Hungary, with uh, with Venture Factory in Slovenia, with Reactrix in Poland, just to name a few. Um, and in those um, uh, accelerated programs, there are often companies that are very early stage, and I've mentored them and I've taken them to um, to be in a position where they're where they're scaling their business. Um, you know, there's obviously a whole process here where a lot of hackathons develop ideas that never turn into businesses. And so I can't tell you um, with a hundred percent certainty that uh, everything, every, every one of the companies I've worked with has turned into a burgeoning and blossoming business, but I certainly have had enough experience uh, across a range of different uh, uh, industries, you know, med tech, uh, ag tech, fintech. I mean, all the techs you can imagine media, obviously given my background, um, but all of them focused on business to business customers and scaling internationally. Thank you, Zoltan. Thank you so much for being with us to sharing your learnings. And I'm sure many people listening right now will be wondering how can they get in touch with you, maybe get you on board to help them out. So could you with maybe just like in a minute share with us uh, how can they can get in touch with, can they find you and what can you help them when it comes to the launch code and the services that you provide? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so the best way to reach out to me is just go to my website. It's my name, ZoltanVardy.com. Um, simple enough. Um, and on that, there's an opportunity to request uh, a 30-minute introductory uh, strategy session with me where we uh, get to know each other. I get to know the company a little bit, understand its, um, its objectives, uh, where there might be an opportunity for cutting through some difficulties and, and helping them accelerate the revenue growth. Um, and if they find that there's a good fit, if I find that I can help them, then normally I have sort of a three-month mentoring program called The Launch Code, um, where I'll take them through these nine different steps I've, I've touched on, um, the, the focus, the, the sales, and the managed pillars. Um, and at the end, what they'll have is an extremely clear and focused understanding of what they want to achieve with their business. They're going to have a very clear structured approach to sales, and they're going to have an extremely efficient and productive um, organization and team in place to, to realize uh, their, uh, their ambitions. Thank you so much, Zoltan. Guys, you you definitely got to reach out to Zoltan if you if you need uh, any of these things. And and thank you once again for everybody for tuning in, for listening to Productivity Mastery episode 80, which means there are 79 more episodes you can find on <laughs> Spotify, Apple Podcast, and all other platforms. Make sure to subscribe so you get the episode immediately when it comes out. And uh, if you really, really like us, of course, you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, help us to reach more people and keep bringing you some of the most exciting leaders out there, such as Zoltan. Thank you once again, Zoltan. And uh, see you guys again at the next episode on Productivity Mastery. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much, Diane. Thank you guys for listening. And if you're looking for somebody to help you step up your team performance and boost your productivity, make sure to check out stoyanyankov.com for online workshop solutions and programs designed to help you go through the current situation in a smoother manner. Stay safe and keep moving forward.